In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's the Athletics Jesse Temple. We are back to talk uh, Wisconsin football here as the month of June gets started. Big, big, big recruiting month for Wisconsin. Ton of official visits uh, for the class of 2024 going to be in Madison and uh, obviously uh, a bunch of camps going on as well. Offers probably uh, perhaps going to be coming out for uh, classes. I guess I guess it could be 2024 class, but I, I assume a lot of it's 2025 and, and looking ahead to 26. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, a couple of new transfers Wisconsin has added since the last time we had a chance to talk. They got their cornerback and they also added a punter as we I believe we talked about it at the beginning of this offseason, Jesse. We thought punter would probably, or after spring ball, we thought punter would probably be uh, on the list of things to do, and they they certainly did that. Uh, we'll start, though, with the news that came out uh, Sunday that Paul Christ is back in college football. He has reportedly taken a job with Texas as an offensive analyst, and I can't think of anything more perfect for him. Because for a variety of reasons, but I'll let you, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to lay out those reasons too. Yeah, that was exactly my thought. Uh, and we reported on this at the athletic on Sunday as well, that, um, he's going to be an offensive analyst and special assistant to, uh, head coach, Steve Sarkeesian. And just starting from the Chris perspective, I, I totally, uh, am on board with what you're saying because the football knowledge that he has. It hasn't disappeared. Obviously, fans saw what the product was offensively the last three years of his tenure. And I know you can grumble and say, you know, what what offensive success or what what offensive knowledge? Ha ha. Um, he's he's been in college football or the CFL or the NFL or the the uh, WFAL briefly for 30 plus years. And he's still the guy who was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach in 2010 and 2011 when Wisconsin's program set scoring records single season scoring records that still stand and i think this is the perfect way for him to get back into the sport because of what didn't go well at the end of chris's tenure he doesn't have to deal with any of that the and i I wrote about this obviously the week that that he was fired but some of the the issues that he encountered as a head coach you gotta obviously recruit nil you gotta make these personnel and staff decisions he doesn't have to do any of that in this role um and you know, we don't know at this point what specifically he's going to be tasked with, but it doesn't really matter. He'll be able to focus exclusively on schemes, on X's and O's, and I think that makes it a perfect match uh, for Paul Christ. He wasn't going to be out of the game forever. He obviously took seven-plus months to uh, kind of reassess things and recover from the unexpected firing um, in October, but I think this is a, a really good landing spot, and he can he can help – Steve Sarkeesian, because this is the other aspect of it from the Texas side, is that he Sarkeesian was um, an assistant under Nick Saban at Alabama. And this is something that Saban did consistently, that he would bring in former head coaches to lend their expertise to the program in some type of analyst role. They weren't one of the nine or now 10 assistant coaches, uh, but that became a regular thing. And Sarkeesian did this last year with TC former TCU coach Gary Patterson 
he came in as a special assistant. So it just makes a lot of sense with where things are in college football and even more sense for Paul Christ. It definitely does. As you mentioned, all the things that he is not a huge fan of or maybe not necessarily great at and the changes that are happening in college football, they play no role here. They play zero role with what he's going to be tasked at doing. Maybe if he wants to get back like a, a, a bigger role later on in college football, you know, later on after this year, maybe it re energizes him and he wants to get back into a bigger role. Okay. But this is a perfect, perfect spot for him uh, to be at. And as you said, Steve, Car- I mean, Steve Sarkisian went to the uh, Nick Saban school of uh, it's, he essentially wipes your slate clean. Because Steve Sarkisian had obviously a, a horrible start to his career, uh, you know, as a head coach, and just some of the things that not necessarily on the field but off the field issues that he uh, went through, and ended up getting fired, um, you know, at USC. But he got rehabilitated with with Nick Saban, and now uh, they it's not like they've set the world on fire at Texas. But this is a great this is a great spot for for Paul, and maybe we should have known something was up when uh, he put his house up for sale. Um, <laughs> And, you got uh, you. You want to go in with me on that? By the way, can we put maybe a ten percent down payment on it? <laughs> One point six. Um, I would ask for all the sweatshirts in that closet. Uh, Ooh, that's to be, good. To, to be a part of it. To be a part of it. But yeah, One point six million. Apparently, that I didn't know this, but uh, apparently that's the same house as that's Bo Ryan's house. Yes, he bought it. He bought on, it from. He brought it from Bo Ryan on Champion Drive or whatever it is. Champion yeah, way. Champion. Yes. Yeah. So there's, there's that maybe we should have known, but he is back in college football and I think it's a a really good spot for him and we'll see uh, what comes of it, but not having to deal with media, not having to talk to anybody, just being able to sit in a room and watch tape and, and break down schemes of other teams um, feels like a a perfect re-entry point for him in college football. You and I talked about this several months ago, I think about what we, thought Paul Christ might do with his future. Obviously it's going to involve football in some capacity. And I don't know whether that ever means being a head coach again. Um, And I don't know what he would want to do, but I think of another former Wisconsin coach, Brett Bielema, after he got fired from Arkansas, he spent the 2018 season as a consultant to the head coach for the new England Patriots. Then the next year he was the defensive line coach for the Patriots. Then he was the outside linebackers coach for the Giants. And now obviously he's the head coach at Illinois. Um, But it's sort of a a behind the scenes way to stay in the game, to continue to be marketable. I know that's not what Paul is thinking about being marketable. (laughs) Uh, Those two things probably don't belong in the same sentence, but, but I, I think hopefully listeners out there know what I mean that this, I don't think anybody stays a special assistant uh, forever, but it allows you to to do what you do best. And I'm just interested to see not so much what happens with him at Texas, because we'll we'll never really know unless Sarkeesian just dishes on how helpful he's been, which is something that he did with the Patterson, but where this leads for Paul Christ in the future. I continue to believe that he's not going to coach again. As as a head coach? I don't think he's going to I mean, again all. in college, I don't think he's going to coach again. Like th- this isn't to I mean as in an analyst role there, he will be on the field at times. Like, you know, it, yeah, I don't want to go down that road, but there, there are, you know, opportunities for those guys to be around the team and that type of stuff like that in college. And I expect that, but I don't expect him to be dealing with all the stuff that we just talked about. I did like Brett Bielma and him are just completely different guys. And so for 
Brett to get fired and then go and do what he did. Like, you know, he had something to prove. I don't, uh, I guess Paul does too, but I just don't think in this realm of college football, unless he just completely changes who he is as a person is, is just not made for him anymore. And that, that very well could be. And I do wonder whether ultimately it ends up being an offensive coordinator for an NFL team. If, if that's something that an NFL team sees for him, I, I mean, like I said before, I'd talked to one of his former players and that's, that's what he thought the future path would be for Paul is that not having to deal with any of this, but just being able to focus on drawing up schemes and, and doing it at a high level. And obviously he's been in the NFL before. It's been a long time. He was a tight ends coach when Mike Riley was the coach for the San Diego chargers back in 99, 2001. And, and obviously their history goes back to the very beginning in the early nineties, but maybe that's the path for him. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know that uh, I see him being a, a head coach at the college level. And and if he is a, a coordinator, you do have to deal with a lot of those other things in the recruiting. But I, I, it remains to be seen. But he's got a lot of football left in him to coach. He's 57 years old. There, there's uh, a, a, and he's just the type of guy, obviously, that that's all he's ever done. And he's done it at a very high level for a very long time. And so I think he'll try to try to do this as long as he possibly can. Yeah, and we'll see if he's obviously uh, able to do it. There was only four-year difference between Brett Bielma and, and Paul Chris. It feels – I don't know why. It just – because Brett was the youngest head coach one, or the one of or if the – if not the youngest head coach in college football when he got the Wisconsin job, but there's only four years uh, separating them. I don't know why that uh, just popped in my head, but uh, I was I was uh, thinking about his path, Brett Bielma's path, and, and what Paul Chris is going through, and obviously different parts of their, their lives – you know, where Paul is at 57 compared to where Brett was, what has it been 10 years? No, not 10, 10 years since he left Wisconsin. But I mean, they're, they're at different points. I did, like, I don't, I understand the idea of, you know, what Brett Bielma did to get back to where he is now. I just, it just doesn't seem like a path that uh, I could see Paul Chris taking just because they're much different personalities. But yeah, I, w- I wasn't necessarily saying that uh, Chris was going to lead a similar path. What I was mostly, thinking about was just this idea that after Brett got fired, he went into a a consultant role for an entire season and it allowed him to stay in the game and and work his way toward wherever he wanted to go. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's the path that Paul wants to take, but just being able to do this for however many years it's going to be at Texas, I I think will open doors for him. It just remains to be seen which door he would want to open or what possibilities will be out there for him. For sure. For sure. Um, is Texas back? Isn't Texas back every year or every time they win a game in September? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, then let me put it on record in May. Texas, back. Officially back. Officially yep. back. It's got the Jesse Temple stamp of approval. Texas is back. Paul Christ is in the house. All right. So that is that. Also, since we had a chance to talk, two new transfer commits. Uh, the first coming from Grand Valley State via Vanderbilt. Did we even say that? I don't even know if we – do we – no, I, mean, I don't he never we went there. Do that. I don't think we need to do that. Um, yeah, we don't. We don't need to do that. Uh, Nizier Forkering, uh, the cornerback, a big guy, 6'1", 185. You had an opportunity to chat with him. Played for Matt Mitchell, the Badgers outside linebackers coach at Grand Valley State the last two years. Committed to Vanderbilt, was ready to go to Vanderbilt, and then somehow ended up at Wisconsin. How did that happen? Well, obviously, it doesn't happen without Matt Mitchell. Mitchell was the head coach for, what, 12, 13 years at Grand Valley State, obviously developed a really good relationship with Borkurian and 
it wasn't supposed to happen like this when Mitchell came to Wisconsin this offseason, like Forkering later entered the portal and Wisconsin wasn't a, a part of that conversation. He he committed to Vanderbilt. This was on May 7th. And it's kind of funny how this stuff happens because so he commits. And then over the next few days, he heard from a bunch of different schools, Arkansas, Virginia, Pitt, Purdue, Illinois, Penn State, Wisconsin. Those are the power five programs. And, and Forkering told me the only one that he responded to was Wisconsin because of Matt Mitchell. And the more that they talked, the more he realized how well his skill set would fit in the defense. And let's be honest, if you look at the roster situation, it's kind of the perfect setup for a guy with multiple years left to come in and contribute this year, maybe make a run at a starting spot, but you're probably going to be a starter after that. So he said that Mitchell played a big role because he trusts him. They trust each other. And he believes that he's going to come in and be a part of the top three. We'll have to see how it all plays out in fall camp, but I don't think that's a massive stretch right now. We, we've talked since the end of spring ball and even during spring who the top three corners were. It was pretty firmly established. You had Alexander Smith and Ricardo Holman on the outside. You had Boston College transfer Jason Matry in the slot. And by the end of the spring, your two guys that were backups on the outside were true freshman early enrollees. And for as talented as Jonas Duclona and Jace Arnold are, and I think both those guys have the potential to be outstanding here. And Duclona was fabulous this spring. Forkurin is a dude who's just coming off a season where he was a Division II All-American. I think there are probably some people who saw that he was coming here and and maybe, I don't know if they were disappointed, but I think that it's, it's in the context of Wisconsin had offered about five or six guys who were already at the FBS level and the Badgers didn't get any of them. Way back on in early April, Wisconsin offered Joshua DeBerry, who was at Boston College, was one of Jason Matry's teammates. And he committed to Texas A&M. Then there was this run of other guys that Wisconsin offered. I think Alabama transfer Jaquez Robinson, Ole Miss transfer Marcavius Brown, Rhode Island transfer Antonio Carter. And Carter actually took an official visit to Wisconsin. He ended up committing to Notre Dame. I think the Badgers also um, extended an offer to a junior college player. So it, I can understand how some people might look at this and say, well, this guy is the fifth or sixth option. But there's something to be said for the experience that he has and being a division two first team All-American is a, is a big deal. Yeah, he hasn't played at Alabama or Ole Miss, but he's put it on tape. He had 14 pass breakups last season and four picks, and he intercepted three passes in one playoff game last season. So I think it's a guy who's coming in. He has a ton of confidence. He's put it on film. He at least has a relationship with one of the assistant coaches, and Wisconsin had a desperate need to add an experienced body. And you mentioned the C61, 185. So this isn't a guy who's just coming in to fill in cornerback depth. I think he's he's a playmaker and he's expecting to immediately contribute. So in my mind, this is a really good pickup for the Badgers. Do you think he actually will crack the top three? Right now, my answer would be yeah. <laughs> really? Um, who's, he, who's, I, he, who's he displacing? Well, I, I mean, I guess let me let me uh, step back here. Top three on the outside. I didn't... Uh, I think he'll be in the rotation with those guys on the outside. I don't think he's going to come you, in and start. Is that how you took it? Because I like that's how I yeah that's okay. how I took it. I did not take it that way, but uh, you that, actually talked you actually well, talked to him. So and I, I and and I was yeah. reading what you put out there. So I mean i I took it as him saying he was going to be in the top three 
cornerbacks. Um, right. So I prefaced that and I did follow up with him. And so this was the sentence that I had in the story right before the quote is that his expectation is to be used in some kind of rotation with Smith and Hallman. So he's going to be on the outside. Um, and that, and so I don't think it's far fetched that he'd be in the rotation in the top three, but I don't think he comes in and, and takes a spot from okay. either Smith or Hallman based on what they've demonstrated. Uh, but that doesn't mean he won't be a part of the rotation. So I, I appreciate the clarifying questions. So uh, that's kind of where I don't, I mean, look, he's got that's to beat out a true freshman. No, you're good. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's on me. I, I may have uh, just glossed over the first part um, and just focused on the second. That's kind of my, my thing, uh, lack of detail. But when it comes to that idea of being in the top three on the outside, definitely. Definitely yes. see that if you see that for sure, for sure. Um, I, I mean, I don't think it's just going to be handed to him. Uh, no. Jonas DeClona and Jace Arnold both put in a ton of work in the spring. They've had obviously the entire winter conditioning and now heading into summer and, and he'll be here too. But I don't think it's a given, but it's certainly you feel like with his experience level, he would have an upper hand. But yeah, and, and I think he's also got a. It's cliche, but it, that that chip on his shoulder because his entire career path has been someone who's been completely under underrated. He he didn't have any FBS offers out of high school. Initially, he committed to an FCS school called St. Francis in Pennsylvania. He ended up going D2 because he thought it would be a better fit for him. And even if you look at and I think this may be another reason why some people were perhaps underwhelmed when they saw that he had committed is some of the offers that he had from the portal before he picked Vanderbilt got offers from a lot of the Mac schools, Charlotte, Georgia Southern, Troy, and then Vanderbilt came in and all these other schools popped in as well. But he really is motivated to prove himself at this at this high level. And so for as great of a season as he had last year, now he really wants to show what he can do in, in the Big Ten. So I, yeah, this is a good pickup. I'm with you. Nothing's going to be handed to him, but I don't think Wisconsin staff would ever recruit a guy uh, and say, the job is yours unless your name is uh, Tanner Mordecai and you're, you know, skipping the NFL to come be the starting quarterback as a sixth year, six year senior. Right. Right. So do, do you think that they have addressed their depth issues at cornerback? Well, in a perfect world, you probably had a little bit more, but I just, I think we have to go back to acknowledging the scholarship situation. I don't know how many they've got to play with there. There, as far as we know, over the 85 limit, and by the time the, the everybody reports, they're going to have to figure it out. And I'm sure they are behind the scenes. I don't know how much wiggle room there would be, but I think what they've done is, and this is something that cornerbacks coach Paul Haynes talked about during his media availability on cornerbacks day. What they had was a couple guys who were seniors at the top. And then they had, they have four true freshmen. They're gonna have four true freshmen on scholarship this fall and really nothing in the middle other than you had Max Lofi and Ricardo Hallman. So I think they've addressed it as best they could in this situation. I just I don't see them adding somebody else right now because of the the numbers that they have overall with the scholarships. For sure. So, uh, speaking of the other edition, uh, punter Atticus Bertrams. Uh, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I'm not, I apologize. The punter. We knew that punting was a huge, huge question mark in the spring. They bring in this young man from Australia, initially committed to. USC, but is now going to uh, come to Wisconsin instead. I mean, he, he followed the path or has followed the path that quite a few other guys um, in the program that he uh, was in have done to get to this point. And Australian punters are all the rage. And so Wisconsin finally getting in on it. Well, they did 
work on the Aussie rollout style a bit in the spring. So maybe they just yep. wanted to uh, they just wanted to stamp that point home by getting an Aussie to bring in. But I, I think it was pretty clear out of spring that Luke Fickle was not happy with the performance of his top two punters. And we we talked about this as well. But Jack Van Dyke and Gavin Myers had ample opportunity to prove themselves, particularly on that last day, which was a special teams heavy day. And I'm going back and looking at my report now and Van Dyke, who'd been number one throughout the spring, his his unofficial average on eight punts was thirty five point six yards and uh, had a couple just real blunders. One that popped straight in the air, traveled just 17 yards, a couple others that that just did not come off his foot very well. One punt rolled out of bounds for thirty one yards and he had another punt that he was backed up in his own end zone and just. It was a low liner, no hang time, basically, to Vinnie Anthony, who caught it at the 35-yard line and brought it back inside the 10. And Gavin Myers had a better average, but three of his six punts were under 40 yards. So I think we had the discussion after spring about would Wisconsin be willing to use a scholarship on a punter, knowing that the scholarship situation is tight. And if I'm not mistaken, I said, yes, absolutely, because Luke Fickle – he, he is a coach uh, with the special teams unit. He's actively involved in that. And he understands as well as anybody that that's not a phase that you just sweep under the rug. It's just as important as offense and defense. And if that means going out and getting a scholarship guy, then you do it. Now, it remains to be seen what Bertrams does, but they must feel pretty darn good about what they have to offer him a scholarship and bring him in. And he hasn't kicked at the college level because he signed with USC, but he had a back injury. And so he never actually enrolled. So I'm I'm interested to see what he looks like. It's big shoes to fill because we know how good Andy Vinovich was, but they needed something better. You you can't have the inconsistency that they had this spring at punter. No, they certainly cannot. And again, um Luke Fickle has a history with Australian punters. Uh I believe his punter this this past year was from Australia. And then I think his guy his name is James Smith was his punter for for four years, I think 2017 to 2020, maybe that was also from Australia and, and participated in the same pro kick Australia thing that, uh, that Bertram's is in. So he's had some, he's had history of doing it before. And um, he knew that they, these were the two biggest positions of need. I thought coming into uh, coming out of spring ball were cornerback and punter, and they've addressed both of them. We'll see, as you said, we'll see what happens with Bertram's, but as was the case with, um, Nathaniel Vakos, you're not giving a scholarship to a guy to come in and watch, right? So I, I, he's going to be their punter this fall for sure, oh, right? I have no doubt about it. Um, okay, all right. So we're not, yeah, yeah. And I think the <laughs> other, I think the other thing you make a good point about this pro kick Australia. A lot of it comes down to, as it often does in the recruiting world, to relationships. And if you have a pipeline somewhere and you trust the evaluators there, that can go a long way. Um, I mean, I I think of, this is a story from Fickle's time at Cincinnati, but like Sauce Gardner was a DB who was very under-recruited. And I talked to his high school coach. I think his high school coach was Ted Ginn Sr. He's a legendary coach in, in Ohio. And basically told the staff at Cincinnati that uh, this guy was something special. And they trusted him. Obviously, Sauce Gardner was an amazing college player and a top five NFL draft pick. So the, the point I'm making is that in a lot of cases like this, it comes down to relationships and who you trust. And so that may have something to do with this as well. It definitely does. I think, uh, I think it same, same way they got Tanner Mordecai. 
Exactly. That's exactly, you're right. I mean, I wrote about the two Kevin Murray, the, uh, the private quarterbacks coach who would also work with Nick Evers helped to spearhead the whole thing. And, um, that's how, that's how it goes a lot of times in, in college football. And, yep. uh, we'll, we'll see what happens here, but I think Wisconsin absolutely addressed the two biggest question marks it had coming out of spring ball. And in, in order to be successful, uh, this is what they needed. As I mentioned earlier in the show, it is a significant month for recruiting. A ton of official visits happening uh, starting this coming weekend and into the rest of uh, the, the the first three weekends of June, I should say. You have uh, there's a lot of names out there. Can you give us a few that we should be keeping an eye on? Yeah, well, this is a massive weekend coming up here for Wisconsin on the official visit front. Maybe one of the biggest they've had. I don't have the record of, of how many guys they've had come in here, but I expect June to be the month where Wisconsin really makes significant progress in this recruiting class and gets a handful of commitments. Uh, a lot of the guys who are coming this week are already committed, which I think is very valuable too, because you get some of these uncommitted guys and the commits can can tell you why they're coming. So the guys who are committed that are expected to come this weekend are maybe retire, the quarterback, Ian Barry Johnson, the wide receiver, both commit tight end commits, Grant Stack and Rob Booker. They've got Landon Gothier, the inside linebacker coming. Um, Kamir Prescott is coming. The names of uncommitted guys that I think is are probably most exciting, two on offense. First of all, Darian Dupree, the running back. I feel like was, this is as close to a must get in this cycle as Wisconsin has because they they need running back talent. Dupree's already been on campus. He's got a, some other visits scheduled, but that's one that I, I'd be eyeing significantly about. What's this guy going to do and how does this visit go? And Kyan Barry Johnson's uh, former high school teammate, uh, Marion Stewart, is going to be here as well. Another really highly regarded wide receiver. If they could get him in Barry Johnson, it would be, and they've already got Barry Johnson, but to have those two would be a tremendous coup and I think would say a lot about the direction that Wisconsin is headed at wide receiver. So those are the two that I think are probably most exciting, but some of the other guys, they've got a couple offensive linemen that are going to be here this weekend. Kevin Haywood, Ryan Corey, a couple defensive linemen, Dominic Nichols, Hank Weber, and then an outside linebacker, uh, Analu Lafale, another a, a Hawaiian kid, uh, and a couple corners. So I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time. I know that there's no actual football being played, but this is when Wisconsin flourishes on their recruiting trail because you finally get these out-of-state kids up here on visits during the most beautiful part of the year. So I'm interested to see how many commits Wisconsin ends up getting this month. Is Kyan Barry Johnson still taking visits? Well, wasn't that his thing? That was his thing. Um, I, when I talked to him, that was the plan. And that I think still is the plan. Look, it's, it's, it's interesting. And um, this is coming on the heels of, I, I just read an interesting story from, um, one of our writers at The Athletic who talked to Brent Venables, uh, who's head coach at uh, Oklahoma. Yeah. Brent Venables, who's the head coach at Oklahoma. And the whole Q&A was about how he tells recruits that if you're going to commit, you are not allowed to take any visits. And he encourages them, hey, take as many visits as you want before you commit. But once you commit, if you decide to take another visit, you are no longer committed to us. You're, you're basically out. And I know there's a scenario where you could work your way back in, but I, I wonder if that would ever become more of the norm. 
because what does a commitment really mean if you say you're committed and you're still visiting other schools and yeah. maybe you're just yes and and when i talked to Pineberry johnson's high school coach a lot a lot of what he said was you have to understand this is a kid who uh, hasn't seen a lot of places and this is an opportunity for him to uh, get out there but part of me wonders i mean isn't that what you do before you commit and i and i understand you want to secure your spot um so i guess it goes both ways but it's my understanding that he still plans on visiting some other schools, but as long as this June visit goes well, I think, you know, Wisconsin's still in very good shape with him. Should be an interesting month. Uh, I think by the time we're talking next week, they'll have some new additions to that 2024 class. Uh, would you agree? Uh, it's, it's certainly a possibility. Um, it's, it's, it's tough because a lot of these kids have other officials scheduled for June and they may take a couple weeks, but I would say, I mean, I'd have to really study it and what I think the over-under would be by the end of June, how many more commitments they have. But yeah, this is I think this is going to be a good run for the Badgers here over the next four or five weeks. Um, Just a personal preference for you. Would you rather be the first visit or the last visit? Ooh, that's tough. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I I think it depends on the person you may be just totally spent by the time you get to your fifth school in five or six weeks or something like that. And you may not be able to enjoy it as much. Yeah. I guess I'm inclined. I'm, I guess I'm inclined to pick the first one because yep. then you've got something to compare it against every time. Right. Um, and so, and I, I, I do think that's notable too. Some of these guys that Wisconsin is the first one in the door here for these kids, even though they've got a lot of other programs trying to get them and, and they will be visiting those schools, but Sometimes you get a kid who sees enough of Wisconsin just as I'm canceling the rest of my visits. We've seen that a fair number of times. So between the two, I think I would, I would rather be get the first visit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Um, we will be back next week. Uh, we'll uh, hopefully have some guys to talk about. Uh, we'll find anything. We'll find stuff to talk about anyways, but hopefully uh, a commit or two to, uh, to talk about. And uh, we'll see. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right. There he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to the camp.